You're listening to L-Town Radio, the Livingston Library Podcast. There's practically no limit to what you can learn and see when you belong to the Livingston Library. From Thank you for tuning in to the June 2022 episode of L-Town Radio, the Livingston Public Library podcast. I'm Joe, one of the librarians in our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, and your host for the show. In this episode, Jessica will tell us about what hot new books are coming to the library in June. Archana will tell us about some of the exciting programs we have on our calendar this month. Hong Mei will share another special song, and the crew will share some of our favorite ways to exercise our brains in honor of Brain Awareness Month. But first, I wanted to share some things I found recently as I was doing some of my usual rummaging through our local history archives. Actually, it wasn't while I was in our local history room on the main floor, as is usually the case, but this time I was exploring some of the records that are in our basement, and I came across this box full of audio cassette tapes, remember those? which contained interviews with longtime residents of Livingston and which were conducted back in the 1970s as part of the library's oral history program. I was very excited to find these, and in fact, I've been hoping to find some kind of audio records just like those uh, of our local history that I could share here uh, ever since we started doing this podcast. There are about a dozen of these cassettes, which are all very helpfully accompanied by typewritten transcriptions of the interviews. They were all recorded in the 1970s, and they all feature people who lived for many decades in Livingston and have many illuminating memories and insights about what life was like in our community in the early and mid-20th century. And today, I'd like to share a couple excerpts of those interviews, starting with one from a conversation with Mrs. Edith DeCamp, Now, she was born in England in 1877. She moved with her family to the U.S. in 1885. And in 1913, she co-founded, along with five other women, what we now call the Livingston Public Library. This group of women were originally known as the Alpha Club, and you may recognize them from a painting and plaque commemorating them, which hang behind our circulation desk just a few feet away from our poster of Baby Yoda. Anyway, with more on how our library got started, here is Mrs. DeCamp herself speaking on July 10th, 1974 with Wanda Spohn. She's the first voice you're going to hear. And Doris Adamus, who's the third voice you'll hear after Mrs. DeCamp's first response. And I guess that you always liked books and liked to read a lot. I've always been crazy for books all the way all my life. I've been crazy for books. And all this... Always buying books all the time, you know. Yeah. Now I've got sort of how many books in the house, there's no way to put anymore. <laughs> I don't get it anymore. <laughs> well, when you first uh, founded the Alpha Club, did the, uh, did the group meet in the homes? Yes, yeah, yes. And we used to have, first we started once a week, you know. 
So that was our library. Well, that first night you would be surprised, the people that came. We would, oh, it was a success from the beginning. Oh. The very beginning. Carried right yes. on to it. Yes. Again, that was Mrs. Edith DeCamp speaking on July 10th, 1974, just a couple years before she passed away in 1976 at the age of 99. We're going to have another excerpt from Livingston's oral history program coming up in just a moment. But first, if you're like Mrs. DeCamp and you love books, you might want to listen to Jessica, head of our Adult Services and Acquisitions Department, as she tells us what great new books are headed to the library in June. Are you looking forward to new spring books to add to your to-read list? Here's a sneak peek of what titles will be hitting our library shelves this June. Please note descriptions are taken from the publisher. It all comes down to this by Therese Ann Fowler, June 7th. Meet the Jeller sisters, Beck, Claire, and Sophie, a trio of strong-minded women whose pragmatic widowed mother, Marty, will be dying soon and taking her secrets with her. Tracy Flick Can't Win by Tom Perota, June 7th. Tracy Flick is back, and once again the iconic protagonist of Tom Perota's election and the Reese Witherspoon's character from the classic movie adaptation is determined to take high school politics by storm. Ordinary Monsters by J.M. Miro, June 7th. England, 1882. In Victorian London, two children with mysterious powers are hunted by a figure of darkness, a man made of smoke. Hotel Nantucket by Elian Hildebrand, June 14th. The Queen of Beach Reads by New York Magazine delivers an immensely satisfying page-turner in this tale about a summer of scandal at a storied Nantucket hotel. The Lies I Tell by Julie Clark, June 21st. She's Back, Meg Williams, Maggie Littleton, Melody Wilde. Different names for the same person depending on the town, depending on the job. She's a con artist who erases herself to become whoever you need her to be. A college student, a life coach, a real estate agent, nothing about her is real. She slides alongside you and tells you exactly what you need to hear. And by the time she's done, you've likely lost everything. The House Across the Lake by Riley Sager, June 21st. Packed with sharp characters, psychological suspense, and gasp-worthy plot lines, Riley Sager's The House Across the Lake is the ultimate escapist read. No lake house required. The Girl Who Survived by Lisa Jackson, June 28th. In this deviously volatile, deliciously creepy standalone suspense novel from number one New York Times bestselling author Lisa Jackson, the sole survivor of a brutal family massacre must uncover the shocking truth about the fateful night that left her forever marked. Which of these titles are you looking forward to reading the most? Hope to see you soon. Thanks very much, Jessica. Personally, I'm very curious to read that new Tracy Flick book. I'm a big fan of Election, especially the movie where the character was played by Reese Witherspoon. And I would definitely love to know what Tracy Flick is up to after all these years. All right. As I said, we're going to have another excerpt from the interviews in the Livingston Library's oral history program that were done all the way back in the 70s. This next interview is with Captain Ernie Allinger. He's speaking on June 13th, 1979, just as he was retiring after 31 years of service with the Livingston Police Department. He talks a little bit about his experience in the police department, as well as 
some of his experiences as a soldier in World War II. And here he is, Captain Ernie Allinger, speaking with Doris Adamus. Now, during World War II, you were one of our local heroes. Do you mind if I ask you to tell us something about your war experiences? I'd be happy to. But let me relate a little bit of war experience back to my school days. I feel an experience that happened during my school years might well have been a factor in my being here today. I worked hard during my first three years of high school, accumulating sufficient credits for I planned on coasting during my fourth year. Mr. Reimer, our principal, would not permit me just to take one or two subjects and spend the rest of the day in study halls. He insisted I take a type of a coursing a correction, a course in typing, and I believe this was the most beneficial course I took during my school years. The fact that I knew how to type when inducted into the Army, I was assigned to an artillery unit rather than an infantry unit. The infantry unit that I would have been assigned, the 4th Infantry Division, was one of the first units to hit the beaches on D-Day, June 6, 1944 many of the troops never to return to the United States. Thank God for Mr. Reimer's guidance. Typing has been an asset to me all my life. Now my military service. I was drafted into the military service February 21st, 1941, the second draft. At the time of induction, we were advised we would be in for just a period of one year. Almost having completed a year's service, they bombed us on December 7, 1941, and I spent four more years in service. I got to see the world, England, France, Belgium, Luxembourg, Germany, all for free. As I look back, it was better than a college education. I was taught to deal with people, taught to survive. I was tempered and matured. I learned to accept orders and carry out orders. As I look back now on my military years, as I read books on World War II and see TV shows, I feel honored that I served. I served under General Eisenhower, General Bradley, General Patton. I drove across the beaches of Normandy. I was with Patton during the race across France. I drove through Bastogne. While it was still under fire, I observed the jubilant French in the streets after their town towns were liber liberated. I communicated with the FFI, that's the French fighters. And it was during my service years that I met my wife, Laura Ann Robinson, in Columbus, Georgia. My first meeting with her was at the First Baptist Church of Columbus, Georgia. You did not join the police department until after World War II, in 1948, in fact. Now, how large was the police force then, and who were some of the other members of the force at the time? I joined the police department in 1948 for the want of a job with security, the want of physically helping someone, administering oxygen, bandaging an injury, finding a lost child, or unsnarling a traffic jam. The department had about 12 men when I joined. It now has 46 
men, five civilians, 21 school guards, and 40 auxiliary police. Some of the old-timers that were on the department when I first joined was Chief Swain, Lieutenant Winans, Sergeant Townley, Sergeant Alarenshaw, Officers Curley, Hess, Knuth, Hooker, Porter, Ron, and Reeves. I had many exciting experiences in the police department during my 31 years. I recall a what now is a hilarious experience. One evening I was dispatched to a scene of an accident. When I arrived, I found a driver which I thought was covered with blood. He had struck a utility pole. He was driving a coupe. He had just come from a fireman's training session where they had spaghetti and meatballs. He decided to take home a pot of spaghetti and meatballs for his wife, placed them on the back seat of his car, and upon striking the pole, the pot dislodged and dumped the contents over the top of his head. Thank the Lord he was not injured, but he did lose the spaghetti. <laughs> Again, that was Captain Ernie Allinger speaking with Doris Adamus on June 13th, 1979, just as he was retiring after 31 years with the Livingston Police Department. Of course, if you ever want to uh, explore the local history archives here at the Livingston Library, stop by our reference desk and speak to one of our librarians, and we'll be happy to guide you through our rich local history archive. And now, since we're just about at the halfway mark of our episode, let's take a musical break with Hong Mei. Have you ever listened to a piece of music played by harmonica? Have you ever thought about learning the harmonica? The harmonica, also known as a French harp or mouth organ, is a free reed wind instrument used worldwide in many musical genres, from rock and pop to classical music and jazz. It is relatively easy to learn. You can get it as cheap as $10 or as much as $50. Another great advantage is its size. It's about half the size of your cell phone. You can easily carry it around in your pocket, making it the perfect companion for traveling. Now let's listen to Buddy Green playing a classical harmonica medley. I hope you are inspired by his performance and decide to learn how to play the harmonica.
you very much for sharing that, Hongmei. The harmonica really is a very fun instrument to listen to. Um, I own a harmonica, but I've never, never really learned to play it. Certainly not nearly as well as that, but inspired by that, I, I would like to give it a shot, maybe. All right. Now here to tell us about some of the exciting programs coming up on our June calendar, here is Archana. Hi, I'm Archana, and I'm here, of course, to highlight some upcoming June programs. Now, I don't know about you, but I often find myself standing in front of my overstuffed closet, flummoxed by what to wear. Do you also find that your clothes closet is too cluttered? And are you often at a loss for what to wear? If so, the program on June 1st, I Have Nothing to Wear, How to Condense Your Closet and Build a Capsule Wardrobe at 2 p.m. is just for you. Here you will get some practical wardrobe decluttering tips and advice by organizer and author Jamie Novak. You may have seen Jamie on morning TV or read one of her best-selling books, including Keep This, Toss That. She also has her own podcast and YouTube show. In this library talk, you will learn what a capsule wardrobe is, why you might want one, how to decide which clothes to keep, and where to sell clothes for the most money. Next, on June 6th, in honor of D-Day, lecturer Rick Feingold presents Escape from Behind Enemy Lines at 7 p.m. as he recounts the story of how his father, Lieutenant Louis Feingold, a B-17 U.S. Army Air Force navigator, escaped Nazi capture. Louis Feingold flew 21 bombing missions with the United Air Force during World War II. After his B-17 was attacked by seven German fighters, he was shot down over enemy-occupied France. Feingold's escape story is told using letters, maps, photos, and the original fake identity cards. Artists from outside societal norms of sexuality have impacted art for centuries, from Renaissance geniuses such as Leonardo and Michelangelo to artists of the present day. Their contributions have been extraordinary. Until recently, most of these artists had to conceal their true identities, but more contemporary figures like David Hockney, Bradford Delaunay, Catherine Opie, Keith Haring and others have used their art as a tool for social and political change. Join lecturer Suzanne Altman on the evening of June 13th at 7 p.m. as she explores the lives, works and impact of some famous LGBTQ artists in celebration of Pride Month. Now, renowned for his powerful paintings of American life and scenery, Winslow Homer remains a consequential figure whose art continues to appeal to broad audiences. Homer's illustrations, watercolors, and oil paintings are among the most powerful and ex expressive of late 19th century American art. He depicted happy scenes of fashionable ladies promenading along the seashore and children frolicking in a meadow after school. But he also gave us disquieting images of isolation and danger and of conflict. His marine paintings illustrating the untamed elemental forces of nature are some of the most intense and affecting images he created. He also gave us dramatic scenes of rescue and hunting and monumental seascapes and dazzling tropical works painted throughout the Atlantic world. In this talk by lecturer Janet Mandel on artist Winslow Homer on the evening of June 20th, you will get acquainted with this extraordinary American artist in many of his works. And this talk will prepare you well to enjoy the Metropolitan Museum of Art's retrospective Winslow Homer Cross Currents 
that will be on view from April 11th through July 31st of this year, featuring 88 oils and watercolors. Cross Currents represents the largest critical overview of Homer's art and life in more than a quarter of a century. All these programs are in person with no registration needed, and we would love to see all of you at one or more of them. Thank you very much. And thank you, Archana. Speaking of programs, I want to tell you about the next film in our Classic Movie Tuesdays series. It's going to start at 7 p.m. on Tuesday, June 21st. We'll be showing one of the lesser-known films by legendary director Martin Scorsese. Now, when we think of Martin Scorsese, we tend to think of heavy, dramatic films about hard, tough, violent men, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Goodfellas, The Departed. But Scorsese has also made some very funny movies, though, of course, even his most of his so-called comedies still have dark, disturbing streaks. Movies like 1983's The King of Comedy, and 2013's The Wolf of Wall Street, for example, they can make you laugh out loud uh, out of shock or discomfort over the absurdly oblivious and destructive behavior of its characters. Uh, there's The Rolling Thunder Review, Scorsese's 2019 documentary about Bob Dylan's 1975 concert tour, and it contains some mischievously humorous moments that played fast and loose with historical facts. And there was last year's Netflix docuseries, Pretend It's a City, that elicited countless laughs from Scorsese's conversations with the famously cranky writer Fran Lebowitz. But arguably the director's most comedic film is 1985's After Hours. That stars Griffin Dunn as Paul Hackett, a computer data entry worker who experiences a series of darkly surreal misadventures while making his way home through New York City late one night. Why don't you just go home? I've been asking myself that one all night long. So what happened? Why can't you? I met this girl tonight, okay, in a coffee shop. I feel like something incredible is really going to happen here. <laughs> so when I got home, I gave her a call. On the cab on the way down here, all my money flew out the window. I didn't really get along with her that well. What's the matter? I said, I want to see a plaster of Paris bagel and cream cheese paperweight. Now cough it up. So I left. Gigi! So I haven't got enough money to get home until I meet this bartender who wanted to lend me the money. That's all right. That's all right. Forget it. Forget it. That's all right. Good boy. So I go back to the girl's apartment, but her roommate's really pissed off at me for the way I treated her friend. This the guy? Hi. So I march right in there to apologize. Come on! But she'd already killed herself. I was too late. Oh, wow. Lighten up. What is this? I'm in big trouble. I mean, big trouble. Now, this part, you're going to say, oh, you're lying to me. Don't lie to me. But it's true. Mohawk this guy. I couldn't believe that. That's him. Tell him. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. I got to tell who you didn't do what. Help! 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 Call the police. What's with you? Are you nuts or something? There was this girl who saw the whole thing. You're dead, pal. I'm what? So now she's the one in the Mr. Softy ice cream truck who's trying to kill me. They're all trying to kill me. I mean, I just wanted to leave. You know, my apartment, maybe meet a nice girl. And now I've got to die for it, you know? What do you want from me? What have I done? I'm just a word processor, damn it. Is that all they After Hours, 
when anything can happen, and usually does. Is that unbelievable or what? That's all there is, my friend. Then let's keep dancing. After Hours won Scorsese the Best Director Award at both the Independent Spirit Awards and the Cannes Film Festival in 1986. It also boasts a wonderful supporting cast that includes Rosanna Arquette, Catherine O'Hara, Terry Garr, and Chi Chin Chong, and it's absolutely one of the most perfect depictions of life in 1980s New York City that have ever been captured on film. After Hours runs one hour and 39 minutes, and it will be screened with subtitles for The Heart of Hearing. Again, it'll be playing starting at 7 p.m. on Tuesday evening, June 21st, on the big screen in our program room, and no registration is required. And before we wrap up, I wanted to mention that June is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month, meant to raise awareness of Alzheimer's disease and brain health. Alzheimer's disease has certainly affected people in my family, and I'm sure it's affected a lot of you uh, and your family members listening out there. Now, two things that the Alzheimer's Association recommends for maintaining brain health are learning things and challenging your mind. So on that note, uh, for this episode, I thought I'd ask our crew if there are any books or other media that you can recommend for exercising your brain. And here's what they had to say, starting with Jessica. Are there any books I recommend for exercising my brain? Does reading romance novels count? I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but ever since the pandemic began, I've had a difficult time reading and really getting into what I've read. So when answering this question, I had to pause and think, does reading to exercise your mind have to be reading academic texts or solving brain teasers? Maybe, but I also think it could be reading in an engaged way. Perhaps you have felt this way when you're reading. You are sort of going through the motions on the surface, not really getting into the storyline or the writing. Maybe you've read a book but don't really know what you've read, or maybe you quickly forget what you've read even though you just finished reading. Lately, I've been trying to be more mindful of what I'm reading. I've been taking my time really trying to engage myself in what I'm reading, and I have found my brain feels more engaged and active when I read this way. Some titles that have really engaged me recently include Good Neighbors by Joanne Serling, The Last House on the Street by Diane Chamberlain, and The Other Misses by Mary Kubica. Maybe it's been a while since you've picked up a book and aren't even sure which book to choose or where to start. Thankfully, the Livingston Library librarians are here to help. You can always visit us at the reference desk for personalized book recommendations or consider joining one of our book clubs. Interested in exploring classic speculative fiction? Joe's Unstuck in Time book group is for you. Looking for a low-key conversation with other readers and the book's author? Bookish Vibes is perfect for you. We've had the pleasure of discussing works by authors such as Mary Alice Monroe, Diane Chamberlain, and Wendy Wax with the authors themselves in a laid-back Zoom setting. Have you been binge-watching true crime documentaries on Netflix? Our Crime Time book club may just be the perfect fit for you. You can learn more about these book club offerings as well as other events taking place at the library on our website at www.livingstonlibrary.org. Happy reading and hope to see you soon. Thank you very much, Jess. Yes, I definitely think uh, I've struggled to concentrate a lot more often since the pandemic started, so I totally agree that that, uh, 
very often just becoming more engaged with the novels I read is, is enough of a mental exercise in itself. All right, well, next up, here is Hongmei. There are many ways to exercise our brain to maintain brain health. We can try puzzles, play cards, learn a new language, or move our fingers and bodies. The way I like is by listening. Listening is an easy and relaxing way to practice. Listen to the sounds around you, focus your attention, and be aware of what the sound is. You can practice many times a day. It is a sound of wind. It is a dog barking. Is it baby crying? You listen and get the answer. You can go to youtube.com, type the words listening game. You will find many interesting listening games there. Now let's play a few listening games to see how it works. Listen carefully. What animal made this sound? A horse made this sound. made this sound. Now listen carefully. What do you hear? The answer is beach. Now, what do you hear? You got it. Restaurant. I hope you'll find this listening game interesting. Please practice, practice, and practice. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hongmei. That was a really cool exercise, and I'll definitely be using that to practice exercising my brain in the future. Uh, as for me personally, my number one favorite way to exercise my brain is with crossword puzzles. I do multiple crossword puzzles every day of my life, and in fact, working on a crossword puzzle is one of the first things I must do every morning. I feel like I cannot properly function mentally until I have at least one cup of coffee and complete at least one crossword puzzle. Like millions of other people, of course, I've also added the New York Times Wordle puzzle to my daily routine, but crossword puzzles will always be my favorite. I even have a favorite crossword puzzle constructor. His name is Brendan Emmett Quigley. And if you like crossword puzzles, you should definitely check him out if you haven't already. He's got a website, brendanemmettquigley.com. That's Brendan with an A, Emmett spelled E-M-M-E-T-T, and Quigley, Q-U-I-G-L-E-Y, brendanemmettquigley.com. He has also published a number of books that collect his crossword puzzles, and I highly recommend all of them. Obviously, public libraries like ours don't 
typically circulate crossword puzzle collections since they're not exactly the kind of thing you can share and, and with a bunch of other people. However, if you haven't already heard, we at the Livingston Library have a new activity corner in our common area by the circulation desk where you can find not just crossword puzzles, but other games like word searches and sudokus, and they are replenished every day. So if you are ever visiting us and you want to take a few minutes to exercise your brain, do make sure you stop by our new activity corner. That's about it for this episode of L-Town Radio. Thank you, Jessica Hong-Mei and Archana. Thanks to the Livingston Library's Oral History Program for providing the recorded interviews that we heard earlier with Edith, Edith DeCamp and Ernie Allinger. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. I hope you'll tune in again next month. Don't forget you can listen to and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. You can also follow any one of our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You can read our daily blog at blog.livingstonlibrary.org, and you can visit our website, livingstonlibrary.org, to search our catalog or to use any one of our many, many, many digital resources 24 hours a day. Of course, we're open seven days a week for all your library needs, so I hope you'll come down to see us in person as well. Until next time, stay safe, stay kind, and stay curious.